Hey everyone, we're back this week with our new health series called Hormone Happy Hour that I do with Kea Perowit, my dear co-host on the series and co-founder in our business, Bia Wellness. And every Wednesday, Hormone Happy Hour will feature an in-depth interview with a leading women's health expert. Each expert will teach you step-by-step how to eat, think, and move in a way that is designed to help you feel great and create an abundance of energy in your life so you can build your own empire. Empire. Now let's jump into this week's episode. I hope you enjoy it. Yasmin, I recently told you, and I think I mentioned it on the podcast, that I wasn't seed cycling regularly. For those of you who don't know, Yasmin and I have a business called Bia, and our first flagship product is a seed cycling product. And seed cycling is basically a way to use food to help regulate your hormones and regulate your cycle. And Yasmin and I are strong believers in seed cycling, which is why we made a whole company about it. And I had been doing it kind of off and on just with everything going on in my life and noticed that my periods were a little bit wonky. They actually weren't coming. They usually come every 27 to 28 days. They were kind of all over the place a little bit. And I was having some symptoms of PMS. So I said, okay, I'm going to be really strict about seed cycling this last round. And I told you over the weekend, but oh my goodness, there is nothing like committing to something and then seeing the power of it to make you want to shout it from the rooftops. I didn't even have one cramp. I had no, maybe the only sign that I get is that I, my, you know, I have a little bit of shifts in just my overall mood moving into my luteal phase. And that's pretty typical of my cycle for my whole life. I kind of tend to get a little bit more introverted or I just feel a little bit more inward. That happened. But physical symptoms, I had zero, which was so miraculous and really made me want to commit to my seed cycling practice even more. To not have one cramp or the best feeling is when you're on your period and you don't even think of the period. You're like, oh, I forgot I'm on my period right now. That's like the most amazing thing to me. So it was just awesome. It was an awesome cycle I had. Yeah. And you know, what's so funny is that we still text each other. Like obviously we were together this past weekend. You're like, yeah, it's been so crazy. I didn't even know my period was coming. And I'll still text you when I'm getting my period and I have that same case because, and I know I talk a lot about this on the podcast, but I had such debilitating PMS. I completely thought it was normal. It was just a way of life. And even to this day, you know, we've been seed cycling or I've personally been seed cycling now for gosh, three years. And I'm still shocked every month. And I'm still texting you like, oh my gosh, Kay, I can't believe I didn't feel it. And And it's amazing the power of food and also the power of consistency. Like, hey, I know you've been having a particularly busier, stressful few weeks. You've been moving, your daughter's starting school for the first time. There's a lot going on. And even for me, you know, I actually have been having a lot of travel. I actually forgot my BIA and my symptoms, you know, although it's not like how it was before, but I definitely notice when I'm less consistent, I have a little bit of cramping. My mood for sure is probably the number one thing that I feel a difference on and and not the best way. So it's just interesting because you go through these ways with seed cycling and when you don't do it, you are reminded like, oh my gosh, I'm so motivated to get back into that rhythm because it's like once you feel what's possible and the fact that you don't feel your period coming, at least this is our own perspective, it's life changing. And I know I remember the first time this happened before we even had Bia, I know you were studying about seed cycling in your master's when you're getting your master's in nutrition and you're like, yeah, did you ever do that seed cycling thing? I'm like, no. And one month in for me, my breast tenderness was like the first thing that was completely gone and that used to be really bad. I remember being like, oh my God, Kea, this is crazy. Like, why are we not educated about this? And I felt like every single woman in my life should do it. So I just love the passion around this and the reminder that we get as founders of this business every single month because we're kind of seeing what's possible and we just want that for everybody. 
Oh my gosh, so true. Especially when we can use it ourselves and see it. And that's how strongly we believe in it to recommend it to every woman in reproductive years, perimenopause, menopause, and beyond. It's really quite amazing. And actually today's episode is cool because our guest, Jessica, we kind of got introduced to her through what we started at BIA. She is a huge advocate of seed cycling. She has been such a big supporter of us. And we found her content and just fell in love with it because she explains things in such a simple and approachable way. And we talk about that in today's episode. It was really nice. It kind of felt like three friends just chatting about wellness. And I think people are really going to enjoy it. We talk about so many different things. We talk about simple blood sugar hacks. We talk about the importance of hormones. We talk a lot about perfectionism and how that can damage our health. And we also get into preconception and postpartum as well. We go really into why it's important to treat the time before you get pregnant um, really well. And then we talk about pregnancy, nutrition, and then postpartum too. And it's so useful for all women, especially women in their reproductive years. We also talk about why it's important to almost treat your body as if you're going to get pregnant, even if you don't want to get pregnant and how this can really help regulate your cycle. So it's not just about pregnancy. It's about treating your body really, really well. Yes. And Jessica Bippin is a registered dietitian nutritionist with a master's in nutrition therapy. And on a deeper level, she's a recovering perfectionist like many of us and, and a passionate wellness encourager who believes in a forever approach to living well. She has an incredible community online where she shares tips around hormonal health, blood sugar, and simple tips for living a healthy life. What we love about Jessica is that she doesn't believe in a one-size-fits-all approach and knows that every journey looks different, but there are foundational principles that we can all follow. Now let's get into it. So often when people move from a diet of ultra processed food to starting to care about their health, they're starting to lean into what they're eating. It can feel really restrictive. It can feel like any sort of pivot into healthy eating can feel a little bit like deprivation. But I find, and I've been there myself before, that when we go in with a deprivation mindset, we're more likely to fail or we're more likely to fall off track. So you talk about this, I've seen you talk about this on your social pages, that it's way more important to go into healthy eating and healthy living with an abundance mindset. So how do you help people go from deprivation into abundance when they're starting off their health journey? I love this question because it really embodies everything that like my brand entails. And for a while when I was coaching, this is the mindset that I had everyone try to step into before really doing anything because you're so right. When you go into any sort of new way of eating or any change for that matter of fact, it doesn't just have to be diet related and you focus solely on the restriction or what you can't have or all these different changes that you have to make. It's just this negative connotation around how you're living. But when you flip the switch and you start looking at things from an abundance perspective, um, it makes it so much easier. You just see things in a new light. Like for instance, the diet, um, instead of being like, oh my gosh, I have to cut sugar. I have to, you know, like I'm, I need to avoid all these ingredients or I can't have my, like my favorite pasta. Those are just all negative. And that doesn't make you like happy about what you're doing. It doesn't bring any joy into the process. But when you focus on little things like what you can be doing or all the things that you can add into your diet or into your life, it puts a whole new perspective and spin on it and makes you excited to do it. So for example, if 
you want to have pasta, but you are looking to improve your health, improve your blood sugar, whatever your goal may be, you can say or think of things like, what can I add to my plate that's going to bring me more nutrients? What's going to add to my plate that's going to help me feel more satisfied? What's going to add to my plate to you know, help this meal have more blood sugar stability? So instead of focusing on all the negatives that just make it so hard to hit your goals, I just think that switching your mindset is just really impactful and like the starting point for truly habit change. Yeah. I totally agree. We were actually just having this conversation because our team is going to be starting a reset on this coming Monday using the elimination diet. And one of the things that, you know, Yasmin and I pretty much eat in alignment with the reset, but one of the things that we're doing is we're giving up coffee for 21 days. It's so hard. Very very hard. And we were chatting it out because I was super not wanting to give up coffee. Yasmin felt the same way because I didn't have coffee when I was pregnant, post you know, pregnancy, I didn't have it. I just started having it again. Like, really? I just started having it again. I'm going to go off. But then I kind of shifted into this, like, okay, if I take out that deprivation feeling of like, oh, I don't get to have the coffee. And I instead, instead jump into like, what is my body capable of? Like my body is capable of extraordinary things. I can give up coffee. I don't have to rely on it. I can bring in other things. This is a chance to experiment. It's a chance to maybe like, do I do green tea? Do I make myself like little concoctions in the morning, you know, testing my body's limits actually feels now exciting to me. So I feel like before anybody jumps into an elimination diet, a protocol that their functional medicine practitioner gives them, like you have to find that reason to be excited. Otherwise it's just going to feel like drudgery. Right. It's that why that like underlying why, which on the surface level, I talk about this too all the time because it's so, so important. Like you need to have that why, but the why is always on a deeper level. Like it's going to be how you feel. It's going to be how you show up in the world. It has to align with your values. Um, It just goes back to like the example of, I just want to lose weight, but sure. Weight loss can be a goal. That's not a problem, but it's, so why do you want to lose weight? Is it, are you thinking it's going to make you happier? Are you, like, what is that true underlying reason why? And a person really needs to get down to that like root cause of their why. And it has to be coming from alignment and values. And that's really with anything that you want to change, anything that you want to stick as like a habit, that fundamental like why needs to be there. I, I love this. And Kale, you literally brought up this story because the first thing I thought when we were doing the elimination diet, and it's not de- depriving us of food, it's just, you know, making sure you're taking out certain things. And the coffee thing came up and I, I initially, my thought was like, I don't want anybody to tell me not to drink coffee. Like my life feels really hard with work. And it's like this small, joyful thing that I look forward to. And Kale, you mentioned something really powerful. And I think this applies to any type of habit change or shift in what you're eating or whatever it is, but you said, you know, why don't you just try a few days without it? And you, and it sounds so simple, but you giving me the option of it not being so strict and just, you know, let's see what it feels like for a few days. And then maybe you can have a little bit of coffee, but the slow transition for any protocol 
is always so helpful for me. So I just want to share that in case anyone's listening and they feel jarred by all the wellness tips we get. It's like, let's just start with something small and see what it feels like. And then you'll feel so good that you're motivated to be like, oh yeah, I don't want coffee anymore. Like, forget that. I think too many changes at once can be daunting for a lot of people and starting with something small and not putting so many rules around it can be really, really impactful. Um, just like you said, okay, I can do this for a day. Let me see how I feel. I can do this for I can continue for tomorrow and just like kind of roll with it and also know that like you can stop at any time. Like you are in control of what you put in your body. You're in control of your thoughts. You are in control of how you feel and the changes that you make can either go along with that or they don't have to. Yeah. I share this story probably maybe one too many times on this podcast, but I just love it because it's such a good example of exactly what we're talking about where um, a doctor said to the patient, she the one thing she couldn't give up was Doritos. She ate like an entire bag of Doritos every single day. And he said, she said, I can't give this up. This is like the thing that I have to hold on to. And he said, okay, why don't you just eat one less chip a day? And so she just ate one less chip a day until she got to the point where she was eating no chips. And I was like, wow, that's like really powerful. You don't want to just take away something overnight for somebody that might feel like this is the one hurdle that I can't get over. So in the instance of coffee, it's like maybe half a cup, maybe like three, four, maybe. And then you get to the point where you're like, oh, I'm not having this thing anymore. And I feel okay. Mm -hmm. Or like even half calf, like do half and half, or like switch to decaf and then like kind of wean yourself off. Like gradually, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. So not about black and white. There's no, <laughs> don't get in that. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it effortless effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com and check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening and now let's get back to today's episode. One thing that you talk also a lot about is the importance of managing your blood sugar. So I actually have a few questions around this, but you know, one of them, why is that important? And maybe secondly, just kind of going back to our conversation of not limiting yourself, how can this be beneficial if you want to eat that pasta or that rice dish, like how you can manage your blood sugar there? So I know I actually just asked you a lot in one question, but here's to get your thoughts. <laughs> No, that, that's okay. I love the topic of blood sugar and I'm so happy it's been talked about more and more because truly I think it's the foundation of hormone health. There, our body is just so intertwined with hormones and blood sugar and all how everything functions. So this barely skims the surface, but blood sugar 
affects basically all of the hormones. It is tightly regulated by insulin, but when we are constantly bombarding our bodies with this influx of glucose from simple carbohydrates, um, we need to get more insulin. And as your pancreas like shuffles out more and more insulin, there's a chance for the cells in your body to become more insulin resistant. And that's just a huge problem in general for metabolic health for everyone. But as it pertains to like women's health and women's hormones is huge. So when we have this influx of glucose and these really big glucose spikes and crashes that can really affect our cortisol levels. So cortisol is a stress hormone. So those glucose spikes are putting stress on our bodies and our bodies have to release cortisol to help kind of when our blood sugar crashes and gets too low, cortisol kind of picks up and kind of shuffles out more glucose into our cells, if that makes sense. So it's increasing our blood sugar and cortisol is not good for women's hormones. Um, I think it's one of the most, one of the topics that's not talked about enough is how stress affects our hormonal health. But this can have effects on our progesterone levels if we are ovulating. So that affects our entire menstrual cycle. So that's kind of like the cortisol piece, but then blood sugar, high blood sugar in general and increased insulin resistance has an underlying cause of PCOS. Um, I think about, I think this is, the statistic is about 70% of all PCOS individuals have insulin resistance or some form of insulin resistance. So that's huge. And then it also just affects our estrogen, our testosterone, and that can lead to unwanted PMS symptoms, things like estrogen dominance in relation to your progesterone levels, just like it affects your how well your thyroid and metabolism is working. And it's just even listing all those things off. It's like, gosh, it, it like affects everything. So I think without going into like the nitty gritty detail about all of that, it's just the most important thing that I think as women we can realize is that we have control over so many of these symptoms that we may be experiencing throughout our monthly cycle, or even some of these hormonal imbalances that might feel like the world is ending. Like we've tried everything. Maybe you've seen a doctor and they've recommended like medication or birth control or something to manage symptoms. When if we take a step back and look at how we're eating and what we're eating, we may be able to remediate or at least feel like 90% better just by doing little shifts in managing our blood sugar. So just to like tail end off of your question about like what can we do and how do we maintain our a balanced blood sugar without depriving ourselves because I think that's key. So I know you had glucose goddess on here and she has so many wonderful hacks and from a dietitian's perspective, all of them are amazing, but I really focus on making a balanced plate. I think that is single-handed most important thing that you can do. Um, so you want to have a meal that contains protein, fiber, healthy fats. And then I typically, typically say fiber rich carbohydrates as the fiber component, but it gets a little tricky. I think for people, because 
Fiber is found in fruits and vegetables, and you really want to make sure that you're having an abundance of vegetables at a meal. So protein, fat, fiber, like the abundance of vegetables that you can have, leafy greens, um, all those types of wonderful things that are also filled with nutrients, and then also an additional carbohydrate if you feel. I find that most women do well with fiber-rich carbohydrates um, as part of their meals and definitely recommend it. But you can have a meal that doesn't specifically have like a grain carb and it still be a very satisfying balanced meal. So that's my biggest thing for individuals is to make a balanced meals. And then also if you are snacking to make those snacks as balanced as possible. So think of your snack as like a mini meal, trying to incorporate all the components into that snack, or if at the very least, like combining some of the macronutrients. So if you're having a carbohydrate, trying to pair that with either a fat or a protein to really lessen any glucose spike that may come from just having a carbohydrate by itself. So what this could look like if somebody's listening is, let's talk about a balanced lunch meal. So this could look like maybe a piece of salmon or a piece of chicken or some turkey or whatever type of protein some people do tofu tempeh if you're a vegetarian or eggs or something. So you're talking about like a, a, a portion of protein. Then we want to have some healthy fats. Salmon already has fat in it, but maybe you add some avocado or some olive oil, something like that. And then you want to have a bunch of veggies. So maybe like a side of broccoli or a salad or something like that. And then if you wanted to, depending on your body, you could bring in a small portion of some whole grains, maybe some brown rice or black rice or wild rice, or maybe some sweet potato or something like that. Yes. So to give a little bit more numbers, I know people like numbers, some don't, but I think a really good number to aim for at a meal time for protein is 30 grams. Some people may do better with more, some people may do better with less, but if you're always aiming for like 30 grams, I think that's a really good goal. And then I like to say, make sure that you have double the amount of veggies, whether it be leafy greens, zucchini, whatever it is, as you do carbohydrates, if you choose to have them on your plate. And I think that's a good rule of thumb just to make sure that you're getting enough fiber. But what I don't think is talked about enough is those fruits and vegetables. Vegetables are giving you like a ton of different nutrients, vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and those are so important and it's really hard to get those through other foods. So that's gonna be important in creating your balanced meal. And then yes, like you said, the healthy fats. And I think people can get caught up on like salmon also has fat or um, quinoa is the grain I'm using, but that also has protein. And it doesn't need to be as complicated as our, we're making it in our head. I think if we focus on variety at different meals, it's gonna balance out. Like if you have a lean piece of chicken and you add fat to your meal, that's great. It makes it more balanced. If you have salmon that has a fat, but you also add another fat, that's okay too. Over the long run, it's going to balance out, um, especially if you're focusing on that variety, but also creating balanced meals at every, every opportunity that you get. I do like to drive home that you don't have to be perfect at this. Like every meal isn't going to be balanced. It's not going to be perfectly balanced. You can try and that's great, but it, it takes some of the weight off your shoulders knowing that you have another opportunity to eat and another opportunity to create balance like in a few hours. So don't, it, it doesn't, you don't need to beat yourself up if 
you had a bowl of pasta and it wasn't filled with veggies or filled with protein to balance it out, the best thing that you can do in that situation is sit and enjoy it and not stress over it because the stress and the cortisol that's going to run through your body is going to be far worse for your health, your blood sugar than just sitting, enjoying and eating and laughing and having a good time. Yeah. Amen to that. There's actually a really interesting study where they looked at two groups of people. They were both, I think, having a milkshake. I might be mistaken. One one group of people were told this is a like low glycemic milkshake. The other people were told this is a regular standard like Mickey D sort of milkshake. They were the same exact milkshake. But the people who thought this is a low glycemic milkshake actually had a lower blood sugar response than the people who were told this is a Mickey D's type of milkshake. So it kind of was essentially the point of the study was our thoughts about our meal can actually change our body's response to the meal. So this is exactly what you were saying. Like if you go and you're like, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. And it's true. And you're just wasting so much brain space and energy. And we don't, we don't need to have that around food and life in general. There's so much more life to live and important things to do with your life than to worry about that. Amen. No, 100%. And I have a a question about, you know, in regards to going back to protein, you know, ideally, it's great to have 30 grams a day, I definitely feel significantly better when I do eat that much in each meal. But I'm curious, you know, as a dietitian, let's say I skip that meal. And I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to grab like a protein shake. Like, do you feel like that can complement maybe me not getting that protein in a dish I didn't get earlier? Yeah, I think a protein shake can be a really great option, especially if you're hungry. And you need something that's going to help satisfy you. I don't have any problems with protein shakes. I love using protein powder to like boost the nutrition of a smoothie or even yogurt bowls or anything just to boost that protein, getting more in, helping keep you satisfied, satiated, um, and then meeting the protein goals that you have for the day. I truly think that women need around 100 grams of protein, give or take. That was really hard for me to grasp a while ago. Um, I have experimented with vegan, vegetarian, and higher carb, just different kinds of diets. Um, This is probably more so as a way of restriction versus like trying to feel my best. But taking off restrictions and instead focusing more on the, again, the abundance mindset, what I can bring into my diet and putting an emphasis on protein has really made me feel good. And especially after this pregnancy and postpartum period, I truly feel a lot better eating this way than I did even like my last like postpartum time. I don't think I was getting enough protein, getting enough of the essential nutrients during that phase, but like making simple switches, balancing my blood sugar has made a really big difference. Yeah. I'd love to talk about that more actually for anyone who's listening, who is thinking about getting pregnant, or you also mentioned the postpartum period, which can be very nutritionally depleting for so many different reasons for stress, breastfeeding, not taking care of ourselves, focusing on this new life. Let's talk first about prenatal nutrition, which I don't think a lot of people talk about. It's something that, uh, yeah, I feel you know, is that trimester zero, they call it before you get pregnant is actually probably even more important than nutrition during pregnancy to an extent. So let's talk about maybe how you prepared for pregnancy. Yes. And oh gosh, I, with my first, I wish I could have done a better job. I didn't have as much, I mean, I had the knowledge, but like applying it, I 
wish I could go back and do a better job. So thankfully I got a second round with my second son, but a little backstory. So I had disordered eating back in high school that carried on through college, um, more so as a way of like control perfectionism around food, around what I could do with my body. And I had also been on birth control. So once I had, I married my high school sweetheart, but once we decided that we were getting married, we wanted to start a family, I came off birth control, but I didn't get my period back. And that was a huge wake up call for me. I saw just your traditional OBGYN. She recommended going back on the pill. And then it took a lot of digging on my part and then also seeing a functional medicine doctor to help like make switches and get to the root cause of this post-birth control syndrome and like fixing my hormones at that point. And that really changed things for me in terms of like how I was living, how I was eating, like making sure I was managing my stress and sleep because again, that why portion, I really wanted to start a family. And I think that I, in a way, was focusing on healing and getting my body into a place that it needed to be, but not in an optimal, at an optimal level. And I wish women would realize that their nutrition like status before pregnancy is going to be so, so important, not only to carry you through pregnancy, but also that postpartum period, like you mentioned, that can be so depleting. So your egg health is determined like kind of three months out, if that makes sense. So what you're doing like now is going to affect your egg health like in August, September, I think September. So three months, you have to be looking forward three months. And I know pregnancies happen <laughs> that are unplanned. So you don't get that three months. So I even say like women in their reproductive years should be like kind of thinking, even if babies aren't on the brain, how can you optimize your health in terms of hormones and like reproduction in general? Because that's going to be key, not only for you, but like your baby too. So first and foremost, I really do think a prenatal is needed. Our soils and just our food supply isn't as nutrient dense as it used to be. And it's hard to get as much variety and making sure you're hitting all the nutrient goals. Um, so just having a little bit of security there, I think is a really great option, but then focusing on omega threes, which I don't think most people get enough of in general, but that's so, so important, especially once you become pregnant for brain development and health for your baby, but that, so prenatal, um, trying to get as much as you can through food, but having that backup as a, um, a prenatal is a really great thing, the omegas. And then again, back to the blood sugar balancing, I really just think that balancing your plate, balancing your blood sugar is going to make such a big difference in getting those hormones back on track and where you wanna be before you are pregnant. And it can also help with getting pregnant because you can help regulate your cycle, can make sure you're, that you're ovulating. And that that's really key. That's really, really important prior to pregnancy to kind of know where you're at, where you are at, if your cycle is regular. And it can take a lot of stress off getting pregnant if you know if you're having issues or if irregularities or if 
you always ovulate on day 14. If you're one of those people, I think it can take a lot of stress out of the process. Yeah. I love what you said too about just women in their reproductive years, even if you're like, baby is not on my mind, just being in your reproductive years, there's something about the period of getting ready for a baby, which is like one of my favorite times of my life. Because even if it's not for the baby, doing all of those things for you will make anyone feel amazing. And in Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine, they also talk a lot about what does it mean to bring a baby into a body? A baby wants to come into a joy, like a joyful environment, a light environment, like an environment that's like not stress-free because nobody can be stress-free, but an environment that's just very joyful and peaceful and loving and of abundance and bringing all of those good things into your body, like all of the good nutrition, but also all of the good thoughts and all of the, like the way that you treat your body like a temple. If you never want to have a baby doing that, just acting as if you want to have a baby will change your life. Yes, exactly. And I love that you say that because I don't want to be like offensive to people when you say this, but our bodies were designed to make a baby. Like that is what our bodies do on a monthly cycle. Like it's trying to do everything it can to set you up for a successful pregnancy. So if you don't want to have a baby or get pregnant, that is perfectly fine and okay, but your body is still thinking that that's what it's doing. So if you kind of like lean into that and say, okay, well, I'm not going to have a baby, but I'm going to lean into like supporting my body throughout this time of my life. It'll make a world of difference. Yeah. And even taking it to another layer where we're running, you know, a, a seed cycling menopause beta where, so I've been talking to a lot of our beta group and so many of the women are like, gosh, I just wish I supported my hormones earlier in my life because even taking pregnancy out and just feeling good in your reproductive years, you know, there's a, the benefit of supporting your life now for your future self and you when you go through menopause and postmenopause. So that was just top of mind because so many women are like, gosh, I'm telling my daughters right now to take care of themselves. And I wish I had this education earlier in my life. Yes. And taking care of yourself now and getting your hormones balanced now and putting these good habits and practices in place sets you just up for success through those menopausal years. And it's it makes a smoother transition for sure. I want to talk about our hormonal health because a little bit more because um, so often I think people feel like they're doing all the right things. But if you kind of look at the daily habits, there's some things that are insidious that creep into our modern life that can contribute to hormonal imbalances. So what are maybe like three things that you see women doing frequently? Maybe you're like, I could relate to that at some point in my life. I know I can relate to a lot of these habits that are really impacting their hormonal health on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay. I love this question because I'm in the thick of it right now. I'm wearing a continuous glucose monitor, but my cortisol skyrockets in the morning. And I know why, because it's my like me time. I say it's my me time where I want to sit my coffee, but it's also my work time where I have no distractions, where my kids aren't up. I don't have them like, I don't have to worry about them being with the babysitter. They're sleeping. And so I get on my computer and I answer emails or I plan content. And the only time it has not spiked in the morning is when I've been sick and I have not gotten on my computer and not on, looked on my phone screen or anything like that, which has been a huge wake up call because I think number one, we love to grab our phones in the morning and scroll. It's giving this like dopamine rush, but also increasing our cortisol and like stress levels, even if it's subconscious, like I don't feel stressed in the morning working. I'm like, ah, oh, this is my me time. But the way my body is responding is completely, completely different. That I see a lot, just like jumping on our phones right away in the morning, working if that's your 
your time that you can. Um, and then I do a twofold, which I'm working on, but like grabbing that cup of coffee right in the morning. I, especially on an empty stomach, I try to have food with mine to lessen the spike that you can get from the cortisol on top of the caffeine with, it really affects your blood sugar. And I think especially for women, I know that it doesn't affect all people, but for most people, if they're already having that big cortisol spike and just layering on caffeine and then not eating anything and going hours on end, it can really affect not only the blood sugar in the morning, but how you respond to meals throughout the rest of your day. So I think that is a big area that most people can work on. So even if you're delaying your caffeine until later in the morning or making, if you can't do that, making sure you're pairing it with at least something in your stomach, um, ideally a balanced meal. If you can't stomach the thought of having a full meal in the morning, maybe try adding some collagen or like some MCT oil or some like heavy cream and collagen or something to give it just a little bit more substance and to help, you know, lessen the effects that that caffeine may have on your body, especially really early in the morning. So that's like one of the main ones that I see. But also I think the two other big ones, I think intermittent fasting. And I know there's been a lot of topics on this and there are ways to do it for women and different times in your cycle. And I will say that I'm just not a big fan of it, especially going longer than 14 hours. I think 10 to even 12 hours is a great way to reset your digestion. But then going longer than that, for most women who are not disciplined and who do not have their stress levels in check, I think it can really set off a cascade of stress hormones in the body and then also just backfire. Um, they kind of use it as like a restriction that they don't have to eat during these times. And then they end up either overeating in the later in the day or severely under eating. And then their body just wants to store on to everything because it's like, when am I going to eat again? I'm in starvation mode because I don't know when I'm going to get fed again. So if it works for you, great. But I think the better option is eating consistently throughout the day, balancing meals, balancing blood sugar. And you don't necessarily have to rely on intermittent fasting to get results you're wanting to get from weight loss or um, the mental clarity or the brain fog that you want to get rid of because I think that can be done through different means and you get to be happier, more enjoyable to be around. Um, it's not going to interfere with your social life. So that's another one. And then the third one is endocrine disrupting chemicals because they are literally in everything. And so I'm talking about like your traditional detergents, cleaners, fragrances, makeup, skincare, um, and candles. <laughs> yeah. um, and the more you make the switch, the more you realize that like when you go out in public, like, oh my gosh, there's air fresheners like in the bathroom or it, it can be overwhelming how many times you run into them throughout the day. Your receipts that you're grabbing at the grocery store, those are filled with endocrine disrupting chemicals. So trying to not touch them <laughs> or putting, asking for like an emailed receipt, switching to clean beauty products. And again, I don't think people have to go all or nothing because it's our, our bodies are designed to detox and process these chemicals. Well, to an extent, but we are so bombarded with them nowadays that it's, it's just becomes overwhelming and a burden on our system. 
Um, so little switches you can make over time are going to go a really long way for helping your hormone balance. So it could be as simple as like, okay, my deodorant ran out. I'm going to switch to a clean, non-toxic deodorant and just kind of making your switches simple at a time. I think that's a really easy way to do it. And also just finding really effective products. I think people think that just because it doesn't have harsh chemicals doesn't mean it's going to work. Uh, and that's just not true. I think there's a lot of great brands out there now who are doing amazing things and it just takes a little bit of effort for getting out of your comfort zone to try them and then realize that they work just as well. We need to talk shampoo though, because that's one. <laughs> I think we try so many shampoo and conditioners. So, oh so this is an area where I lessening your toxin burden and choosing what to give and take with. So is there a cleaner product that you can use? It might not be the most clean product, but if I'm using clean makeup, clean cleaners, household cleaners, if I'm not burning like fragrance and if I'm doing all the things and I give a little on my shampoo, okay with it because your hair has to feel clean and how you want it and it has to work well. Yeah. <laughs> I think those, if you can get like a lit, like 80% there with cleaner ingredients, I think, think like just with diet, you, it's a give and take. You have to find your own unique balance because I, I love the word balance. I know it gets a lot of hate, but I love it because everyone's balance is going to be different and it's never going to be this perfect line, but more so this fluctuating, almost like a seesaw. So some things you have to give a little, some things you have to take, and it's going to change during different seasons of life. So maybe during the pregnancy, you really want to lessen your toxin burden. And you say like, no, I'm not going to use that shampoo. I'm not going to use any of those cleaners, but then you know, a different time in your life, you may be like, okay, well, I really need a little extra. I really love the lip gloss that has like toxins in it. And then, you know what, I'm, I'm okay with using that right there. That's finding your unique balance. Maybe somebody else wouldn't do that and they're not comfortable with it, but I think you have to do things um, for your own body, your own comfort, your level of comfortability and, um, I think that's a beautiful thing. I don't think you have to like try to be perfect with everything that you do. And Jessica, I'm actually curious, going back to the first thing you mentioned really resonated with me where you said my cortisol skyrockets in the morning, right? And you're, that's your me time. Your kids are sleeping. You love your work. And that resonates with me so much because sometimes I don't realize my cortisol is high. I'm like, oh, I'm in the flow. I love it. But like you said, when you were sick, that's when you realize like, oh, interesting. So when I work, it goes up. And when I'm sick, it's chill. How does somebody know who's listening? Is it a test that you take? Or how do I know that my cortisol, you know, might be spiking because I am also working in the morning? Um, and just to kind of help manage that. So the way I really realized this, because I also thought like, oh, this is great, um, was my continuous glucose monitor. Naturally, your cortisol rises in the morning. That's like how you wake up. And so I see that on mine, like I'm sleeping and then like, from my aura ring, it'll say, you woke up at, like, I do wake up really early. So like it's 4.30. Well, on my glucose monitor, it'll see like at 4.30, my glucose will already start rising. And it's just your cortisol awakening response. That is a good thing. But then compounding it with caffeine and blue light. And, you know, maybe you're answering emails or deadlines that could like subconsciously ri be rising your stress level. That's where I think mine goes up and it responds to like what I'm eating, what I'm drinking. And I typically have the worst response to a meal 
because I do eat something like as a pre-workout in the morning. And I mean, I don't know if people would know exactly if they're not, some people may feel like jittery or, you know, kind of like an adrenaline rush, but there are some ways that you could potentially counterbalance this. Maybe instead of like first thing in the morning, like hopping on your phone or computer, maybe you take some time to like sit and meditate for like five minutes maybe write in a gratitude journal. And I was in a good habit of doing this. And then I had my son and it was like a scramble because I was like, oh my gosh, he might wake up like I need to get something in for me. But this just goes to show I'm going to set a goal for myself to do like five to 10 minutes in the morning before I like start go, go, going. Because I think it can really affect not only your cortisol levels, just how you feel for the rest of the day, kind of setting that tone. Like, okay, this is how I want to feel. I want to feel calm. I want to feel relaxed. Um, I'm thankful for this day. I'm thankful that I'm able to wake up early. Just putting that all into perspective can really shift your cortisol, but also just shift the tone of the day and how you feel. Totally. And I think that if anybody really wants to look into it, glucose monitors are amazing. There's also salivary cortisol tests. So you can see where your cortisol is throughout the day. Uh, Again, like Jessica said, naturally we should have a cortisol spike in the morning that gets us up that gets us going sometimes people don't have that they actually have the opposite where they have really high cortisol at nighttime um so their circadian rhythms could be off so there's so many different things you can do but again like you said sometimes people just wake up anxious like i hear from a lot of people who are like i wake up just stressed like i have palpitations in the morning or i just feel like i didn't rest well or something so in that situation maybe something could be going on with your cortisol but you don't have to look into it to take the steps. You can take the steps now. So you can get the morning sunlight. You can limit screen time at night. You can eat blood sugar balancing meals. You can do gentle movement. All of these things will help. So don't anybody feel like they have to go and run and get. Yes, I was going to jump on that and say like, unless you're having like extreme fatigue, like you can't get to the root cause of your like hormone imbalances and you know that there's something wrong. That's when I'd go on to test. But if you just want to take steps to like prioritize your health and like maybe you're a little bit tired here or there, you know, you're not like something is really wrong. That's when I would start implementing just the steps that we know lower cortisol make you feel better during the day. Unless, you know, like you said, like test if definitely test if you feel like something is very, very wrong. But other than that, I think anyone can apply the healthy habits and get the benefits. From For sure. I want to actually talk about, you know, you talked about in the morning, that's your time and the kids are sleeping and that's when you can get the work done. That's before everybody gets up. And Yasmin and I talk about this a lot quite frequently is this idea of doing it all, especially as women. We have, and mothers to take it a step further, naturally a mother's job is a little bit more different than a father's in a lot of situations, especially for working women. I know people ask me all the time, how do you do it all? How do you have a kid and a business and a full time? And I think because a lot of the times we don't talk about it as women, sometimes we make it look effortless, um, even though it's not effortless. And sometimes we don't talk about the detriment of wanting and trying to do it all. It can make other people feel like comparison mode or this or that. So you know, how are you managing it as a mom, as a creator, as somebody who prioritizes her health? How are you kind of managing it? And selfishly, I'm asking too, because I'm in that as well, right? So I want to talk to other moms who are going through it too. 
I love that you brought this up because somebody asked me this today in my messages, like, how are you doing this all? And I'm like, girlfriend, I am not doing it at all. Okay. First of all, I think it's about prioritizing what you want to get done. Um, and then, you know, letting other things kind of go. Like if you came into my house, like that's, I mentioned this to you guys that we moved and that the house getting it together is just not on my top priority list right now. Like there's just things that are not done. There's things that the rooms are not furnished the way we want them. There's like handiwork that needs to be done, but that is not my priority right now. I like can't even wrap my head around that because I want to be focusing on other things and I have to be focusing on other things. Like that will get done. So I think it's about, and sometimes it helps to make a list, but like prioritizing like what you want to do in a day, what makes you feel good? What are you doing that you don't want to be doing that maybe you can delegate? So I have a cleaner because I do not like to fully clean the house and I need help in that area. I know I do. So I also have to have help with my kids. Like there's no way that I could sit on my phone or computer and, or create content that I want to create and be raising two babies and be fully present with them. So I'm giving up some of my time with them so that when I am with them, I can be more present. I can be the mom that I want to be. I, but I think that we put so much pressure on ourselves as women and moms to be doing it all and taking some of that off as like a mindset piece. Like I don't have to be doing it all, but I, I can do what I want to prioritize. So I think it's getting crystal clear on that first, and then it allows space to make that happen. So if you don't like doing, I don't know, the laundry or cooking, how can you delegate? Can your husband do the laundry? Can your husband help cook? Can you order meals in that are still balanced and healthy? But like, there are ways to make it work. You just have to get crystal clear on what you want and then go from there and to create the life that you want based on, but based on that. But I, <laughs> I say that and then my mind is like, I, I think there is that like keeping up with Joneses or looking at like what other people are doing and saying, how does she do it all? But I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. I think it like shows that at least for me as a creative person, like there's potential that I want to do and there's opportunities to do it and other people are doing it. So it's almost like they can do it, but, and I can too, but what do I have to give up? And am I willing to give that up? So it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> and there's not really a right answer because so many, but everyone's lives are different. Yeah. And it's like doing, and listen, I don't have kids, but I've, you know, interviewed a ton of, um, on my podcast, a lot of self-made successful women. And you look at them you're like, how are they running multi-million dollar businesses, have a happy marriage and kids. And I think to your point and from your own experience, I think there's different sacrifices you have to make. And I'm just sharing this one example because it really stands out with me. You know, there was a founder of Kuyana, which is this clothing brand that we love a lot, actually. And she was saying, listen, when I started my business, we didn't have money. My husband was in residency still. I didn't have money for help, but I realized how important it was for us as our marriage, as me wanting to like start this business to kind of downsize our life 
to get that extra budget for help. So I just, I want to share that because some people might be listening. They're like, you know, I don't have a nanny or, you know, I don't have the budget. And it's like, it really depends on what feels right to you, first of all. And if you want to go after certain passions and dreams, and that's important to you at this stage, what does it look like to kind of shift your lifestyle and talk about the numbers and talk about what makes sense for you to bring in help? So I just like to bring that because I think, again, a lot of women look at each other and they're like, oh my gosh, she has a business. Like Jessica's always posting every day. She just has a newborn. And it's like, let's talk about all the the army behind the scenes that's there to make it possible. Long-winded way of saying, I just appreciate you kind of being very open and vulnerable because uh, I think it's super important for women. Thank you. Yes, I do have a lot of help. Thank you. My mom has comes and helps with boys at least two days a week. For the summer, since Charlie wasn't in school, I got babysitters for like one, maybe two days. And then my mother-in-law will have him just for like a morning piece on like Fridays. But I couldn't, there's no way I could do it without help. It was something, my dad said this to me back in high school and I'll never forget. I played competitive soccer and he was like, there's three things and you can either have a social life, you can have soccer and you can have good grades. And you have to have good grades. So which one do you want? And I was like, okay. So it was just talking about like sacrifices and, you know, giving and take. So you can't have all three, but you have to pick. And I picked pick soccer. Well, luckily <laughs> soccer probably came with friends. So that's like. Too yes. Well. So that. <laughs> yes. Well, I want to end on, I know we're coming up on time. I want to end on this question that we've been doing every week with our guests, which is kind of a fun one from TikTok. What are three things as a nutritionist and a dietitian that you're like, I absolutely will not do this to my body. I won't put this in my body. I won't do this, do this to myself. Like, no way. This is where my boundary is. <laughs> I saw this question and I was like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, so... I guess for me, and just like based on my history, I never put my body through the keto diet. And then I have strong opinions on that. But anyways, that for at least for me, and then ex any extreme weight loss diets, whether I just don't think extremes work. And I with history of going all in and being able to do a diet and restricting it, that is just not for me. And then I personally don't think I would ever put my body through extreme fasting, meaning like 24 hour fasts or longer fasts where I know that some people say it's so beneficial, especially for men, but that is just something that I say no to. And I'm not going to, not going to do that for my body. Yeah. I'm with you. I think I'm with you on all three of those. Things. <laughs> I was going to say, what, what are yours that you would never do? <laughs> all kinds of stuff so it's really it's been a fun question because we've heard things from like you said i won't do high fat keto diet i won't do carnivore diet to i'm not waxing anymore it hurts too much i'm not gonna wax well jessica we also wanted to get your thoughts and i know we were mentioning this before the interview but you've been just such a supporter of seed cycling of us before you know we were before we even launched i think it was very early on but i'd love to hear just like your perspective around maybe seed cycling and, you know, why, when you incorporated it in your own life? So I think it's just such an easy way to bring in nutrients and support your hormones in through food. I, I think food is so powerful and the fact that you can get certain support and nutrients is just incredible. So I think that if people are wanting to make shifts and changes, this is just a really easy way to do that. And it also gives people a nice schedule and routine. 
which can be key. Because I, I think like you can say like, oh, incorporate healthy fats or, um, you know, balance your blood sugar. But this gives somebody a very concrete, accessible thing to do day in and day out. And like with anything, the more you do something, the more second nature it becomes and the more benefits you're going to get. So you have this like protocol, like I'm going to incorporate seeds through this half of my cycle and then the second half of my cycle. And you, it just becomes a way of flooding your body and helping support estrogen detoxification every single day throughout your whole entire month. And that's a beautiful thing. And I don't think that people implement enough habits around hormone health. I think they can do a lot of different things and it's going to make a big difference. But when you're doing something day in and day out, that's when you're going to see the most impactful results. So that's what I love about seed cycling. Um, not to mention that you guys just make it so easy <laughs> to do it's like one scoop, um, but really helping regulate your, like regulate my cycle, especially prior to getting pregnant after like my, so between this, my first son and the second son, I think that's when I started with the seed cycling. And I, that was very impactful for me. And it was just like a daily dose of wellness that I could give myself knowing that day in and day out, that's a one habit I could rely on. And then now postpartum, just getting back into that again, routine, I'm still breastfeeding. I don't have my period back, but being able to, you know, go off the moon phases or just simply getting the nourishment of the seeds in has been something that I really look forward to. Um, and I think it's, it's beneficial for anyone. Everyone can try. Anyone can, I think, see the difference, notice the difference and how they feel, how it affects their cycle. But at the very least, they're weakening so many nutrients, healthy fats, fiber, that good for them ingredients. Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you said it's just a nice ritual to incorporate because similar to you, it just got me to learn my cycle. A few years ago, I didn't even know how long my cycle was. I didn't even know how I felt. So like you said, sometimes adding in a ritual to help you kind of be in sync with your body is just really beautiful. And, you know, even earlier on when you were talking about all the blood sugar balancing tips that you have and just the importance of having balanced meals, for me, my fiber, healthy fats, I'm like, let me just throw in Bia because it's just easy. And I'm all about like the easiest, most effective, clean way to get anything done in my life, especially when it comes to food. So I, I love that you mentioned that. But Jessica, we are so grateful for you and your time. This was such a blast. And we'll share all your Instagram, your website, everything in our show notes for people to follow you. But thank you again for joining us. Yes, thank you, Jessica. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.